Yeah, she's back there. Children want to go. I think they didn't have the class, you know, they, they didn't have the children's thing last week, but they have it this week. So, uh, and if you're my age, that means you're probably too old to go back there, right? So, uh, anyway, teenagers over there, you're too old to go back there. You're, you're stuck in here with me, right? Yeah. Feel the love. So, uh, I know I told y'all last week that I attended A&M, right? So, I uh, had a big class that I was in. It was a required class for a speech communications major. It was called Rhetoric and Western Thought. If that's not scary enough in and of itself, uh, Dr. Marty Medhurst was the professor. And I'm going to tell you, he was, uh, he was, uh, Mar- Dr. Marty was something else. His, his, his class was a tough class. I was talking to somebody. Uh, in between services about what he did with some of our tests and that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, what I took away from that class was a quote. So, you know, rhetoric and Western thought, we studied what people said about communication, dating all the way, you know, dating way back and that kind of stuff. And anyway, one of the quotes that we read in the class was a quote from Heraclides, uh, who said, a man can never step into the same river twice because not only has the river changed, but so is the man. And so I, I want to share with you today, um, you know, I shared a little bit last week. I've pastored four churches, uh, helped start two of those churches, uh, you know, helped start a cowboy church in Salado, helped start a cowboy church in Palestine, Texas, uh, pastored uh, North Jackson Baptist Church in Palestine, Texas, and after that, uh, pastored First Baptist Church in Charlotte, Texas, uh, but but sometimes you just have things happen in your life that make you different from the person that you were before, right? Uh, you come across you you uh, you know you have an interaction with somebody, uh, you hear a sermon preached, or in my case, it was reading a book. And so actually, uh, we were doing something at Texas Baptist. Uh, we were doing church planting centers. And so I helped do a church planning center that was geared more toward cowboy churches. Same principles, uh, but the instructors that came in. And so I read this book. I'm going to have them put it up on the screen. Uh, Four Chair Discipling by Dan Spader. Any of you in the room ever read the book? Anybody? No. Uh, Brett, Pastor Brett was the only one in the early service who had read the book. I can't encourage you. If, if I was a millionaire, I'd have come with a few hundred copies of this book and I'd have given every one of you a copy of this book. It's not very expensive. It's on Amazon. Uh, It's about $15 or $16. In fact, I ordered one this week and I meant to have it here so I could hold it up and say four chair discipling. But I accidentally, you know how Amazon does that, right? If you don't click exactly just right, it'll group your order together and it all comes as one order. So the book's not coming till Monday. So Anyway, that, that's how it is. Such is life. Uh, but but I can't encourage you enough to get a copy of this book and read it. Uh, when I read it in 2021, getting ready because uh, we were trying to teach things. We weren't trying to uh, teach these uh, men who felt called to either plant cowboy churches or pastor cowboy churches. Um, we didn't. There's no reason to to teach them theology and that kind of stuff. There are seminaries where they can learn that kind of stuff. But 
organizational leadership. What does it mean to be the pastor leader of a church? And so one of the things that as pastor leaders, uh, that pastors have to do is lead churches in disciple making. And, uh, you know, as a, as a young pastor and even as a pastor planting two churches, uh, if, if we had 10 different pastors come up here and ask them to share a definition of what making disciples is, we might get 10 different definitions, right? And so when I read this book by Dan Spader, it just simplified it for me. Um, Dan Spader says this. This is a quote. It might not be exact, but he says this premise in the book. Spader says, we focus so much on the message of Jesus that we neglect the method of Jesus. Jesus had a method for making disciples. And so... Spader says, if, if you look now, when, when we read the Bible and, and we just read the gospels, sometimes we might miss the chronological order, the, the steps that Jesus made. And, and so Spader said that, that he got a chronological Bible and, and started studying, um, which, you know, a chronological Bible takes the Bible and takes a little bit of this gospel and a little bit of this, you know, and it kind of tries to put it in the time frame of, of how things happen. And so, as Spader began to study, he said he began to see that, that there were really four chairs to making disciples and that Jesus modeled moving people through these four chairs and making disciples. And so I'm just going to dive right in. And of course, I'm probably not going to have a prop next week, but two weeks in a row, right? So chair number one is the lost. Uh, chair number one is people who are apart from Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1 verse 35, if you got your Bible, I encourage you to turn there because you never need to just take a pastor or a preacher's word for it, right? If you have a copy of this, God desires to interact with you. And so uh, take it and read it and pray and meditate. But in John chapter 1 and verse 35, it says this, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to see the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. So what did Jesus do with that first interaction with some of those disciples? Did he, did he challenge them to follow him to the ends of the earth? No, he just basically said, come hang out with me a while. Come and see. And I think in, in the church in North America, uh, we do a pretty good job of helping unchurched people uh, to to uh, maybe come to church or maybe to be engaged in the gospel. Um, but but that's just one chair. Come and see uh, the lost. So chair number two. And, and so there really is a progression to these chairs. Everyone starts out in chair one, somebody apart from Jesus Christ, doesn't know Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. But at some point they step or they move to the chair and, and become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so if, 
if you look and 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 I uh, Spader calls that chair a believer. Uh, in John one forty three, the next day, just a few verses down, uh, Jesus found Philip and he said to him, "Come, follow me." So it wasn't just come and see anymore. Uh, there's there's uh, an intentionality there. Come and follow me. Come and spend time with me. And so, and, and this is not just talking about Main Street Baptist Church this morning, but as I have pastored and as I have uh, pastored two churches and helped start two churches, and, and as I look at, at the church in North America, I believe we do a pretty good job at getting people to chair one and getting people to chair two. But I believe then there's a great chasm between chair two and chair three. And so we've got to, and and trust me, yes, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to engage people that don't know Jesus Christ and help them to come to know Him as their personal Lord and Savior? Absolutely. that That's what we're supposed to do. But do you realize as followers of Jesus Christ, it doesn't just stop once we come to know him as our Lord and Savior, right? That's not where Jesus stopped with those first disciples. And so there is a chair three. And I'm going to go ahead and leave them spread apart right now because I believe there is a great chasm in the church in North America. And this is not an indictment on, I shared with you earlier. Uh, I pastored two churches, started two churches. You know, you think you're, I think about all the time that I personally put into sermon preparation, you know, because if you've never preached before, Sundays roll around every Sunday, right? And in the early days, uh, you know, it was not only just Sunday morning, it was Sunday night, it was Wednesday night. Uh, you know, there might be another something else going on during the week. And so, you know, Pastors don't just get that by osmosis, right? We sleep with our Bible under our head and, and God just miraculously gives us something to say. Uh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be prepared as pastors. But it's not just the responsibility of pastors to help people move from a non-believer or a lost person to a believer and then to become a fisher of men. Uh, all of us have the responsibility to help move people. And so chair number three is the fisher. Uh, Jesus told his disciples they would fish for people. And so in Matthew chapter four, uh, just a few pages back in the gospel of Matthew, and, and one thing that I'll say before we read this scripture, when, when Spader writes the book, he says it's probably 18 months between when Jesus engages some of those disciples at first and when he asked them then to to follow him and become fishers of men. And so not that and and so in one way if you're a new believer that's less than 18 months old if you haven't known Jesus Christ for more than 18 months I kind of say you're off the hook maybe you know you don't need to be you're off the hook right that's a good play on words. Uh Uh, I'll give you a reprieve and say, okay, you you really don't need to get serious about fishing for people until you've known Christ for at least 18 months. But probably for most of us in the room, we've probably had a relationship with Jesus Christ for at least 18 months. And so 
Uh, I just want to go ahead and read it. Matthew 4:18. One day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing his net into the water for they were, they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. So we see the disciples leave their nets and follow him. And so, you know, again, we have this progression. We've got people who don't know Jesus Christ, non-believers, the lost, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's interesting though, if you were to walk up to somebody who is apart from Jesus, and of course in church terminology, we call them lost, right? But if you walk up to them on the street and say, hey, are you lost? They're going to say, no, I got Siri and I got maps and I can get exactly where I want to go, right? They're not thinking in spiritual terms. But they they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we try to get them to a point where they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, where they're baptized, they're a follower. But understand that Jesus expects them at some point to become a fisher of men. He expects them to get their hook in the water. And and you're not going to catch any of you like to go fishing? couple of you can you catch any fish without a hook in the water well maybe unless you're fishing with a net right but that would be the only way a trick question right but not many of us fish with nets uh most most people today are lure fishing you know rod and reel fishing and you can't catch the fish unless you get your hook in the water and so i i don't know what it is you know one of the things is, as a church, if we're going to expect people, and, and so that's what, you know, if I was pastoring a church today, I've told people, I don't know if churches would want me to be their pastor, because I just have a different expectation now. I think in a lot of ways, we've kind of lowered the barrier for what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and just come on Sunday and maybe plug into a small group or a Sunday school class. And, oh, we're just so, and if you'll give a little bit, we're so grateful if you give a little bit. But that's not what Jesus called those first disciples to. He didn't just say, well, come and, and the, and the thing is, yes, Jesus preached to the crowds. There's no doubt. You look, at the scripture and Jesus preached to crowds. But how many times do we see Jesus once he preaches to the crowd, he comes and sits down with the 12 disciples and they're like, Jesus, we didn't get what you were talking about. We need you to help us understand this. And Jesus personally, intentionally leads them through what he taught so that they could apply it to their lives. And so that, that's what we need to do. But getting, getting back to chair number three, some of you, and, and so if we're going to expect people to fish for people, then we need to give people tools. And some of you, that's what you might be saying today. Well, Jason, I just don't have a tool. Well, there are tools out there. Have any of you ever, have any of you ever helped with vacation Bible school? A few of you then. That's great. So what do we usually do in vacation Bible school when it comes to presenting the gospel to the children, right? We do the ABCs of Christianity, right? Any of you ever heard the ABCs of Christianity? So what would the A be for? Admit. Admit that you're what? Admit that you're a sinner. 
Y'all have been to vacation Bible school. Amen. The second one is B. So what is B for? Believe. That's right. See, we got, see teenagers, aren't you glad you, y'all are, and your youth pastor, you're, y'all are just falling right in there. Y'all been there. And then the last one is C, confess, right? So I've given you one tool right there. Admit, believe, and confess. And, and so if you need to help, if you need to help somebody come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's a tool that you can use. I've used that tool before. I've used it as a pastor countless times in sermons. The ABCs of Christianity. And I learned it by going to vacation Bible school. You know what another great tool is? The Roman road. Any of you ever used the Roman road before? Know what I'm talking about? The Roman road. A few hands. You know, you can Google it. Uh, I'm not going to go through every scripture, right? We've got smartphones today. But one of my first Bibles, and this is not it, but but when I came to know Christ, I took it the front. And you know, you can write in these things, right? It, you know, Jesus isn't going to get mad at you for writing in, you, writing in your Bible. Um, one of the first things I did when I came to know Christ was I took the Roman road because Romans talks about the scriptures in Roman, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of life... Uh, the, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, so anyway, you can take, and there's a few more than that. That's Jason Bryant's short, sweet, and condensed version. But you can take the Roman road and you can write it down here in the front of your Bible. And then you can even take uh, in Romans... And, you know, when it's Romans 3.23, you can say, see, Romans 6.23 is the next scripture. I don't know if that's exactly the right one, but I know those are two of the scriptures in the Roman road. Uh, but, but do that. And, and, and that's, and most of us, we might not have this with us all the time, but you've got this with you everywhere you go, correct? Are y'all with me this morning? Amen. 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 You're going to have this with you everywhere? So you know what I have on my phone? I have a little app that's called Color Note. Now I'm not saying you have to go download Color Note, but I've got all kinds of notes because I kind of forget stuff sometimes. And so although you might not have this with you, you're going to have this with you. So you can download a little note app or, and, and I'm an Android person. I know I don't know Jesus because I'm not an Apple user anyway. Um, but just play with me. Just pretend like I'm a good person. Um, but download you an app, something where you can put it in the notes and put the Roman road in your phone or, you know, say, hey, Google or hey, Siri, show me the Roman road. But we need to start fishing for people because some people just aren't going to show up to church, especially if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. A lot of people in our world think that we're mad at them and think that God is mad at them. If you haven't had conversations with people, a lot of people think that. And and so we need to take the opportunities where we work, where we play, where we go to school. We've got to start conversations and be fishers of men. How many of you, now only one or two in the early service, so I'm not expecting a whole lot in, in the late service, but... Um, but y'all might surprise me. Have you, how many of you ever heard of CWT, Continuous Witness Training? Anybody? One. All right. So CWT, Continuous Witness Training, was this evangelism tool. When I came to know Jesus Christ in 1996, uh, our church was going through it. And it's a whole long 
outline that you memorize. And so you memorize every scripture so that when you're witnessing to somebody, when you're <clears throat> trying to share Christ with them, you can, you can go through these things. And of course, you don't walk up to somebody on the street and say, do you know Jesus? Um, but it is, you know, you start conversation. Um, you know, if you were going to cold, cold knock on somebody's door, you'd try to see if they have an RV outside or if they have a boat. Or if they have dogs or, you know, cats or, you know, so you just start conversation about normal things, but then you try to move the conversation. So do you attend church? And if they don't attend anyway, well, anyway, so you try to, but then, you know, after you've had a conversation for a little while, you ask them this key question. And I always remember the key question from that. And, and one of the reasons that I remember the key question And I'll share that in just a second. It's something that happened in in our family's life personally. But the key question is this. If you were standing before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think you would say? And so my uncle came to know Christ in 94, 95. And because because of how God changed his life and the changes that I saw in his life, uh, that impacted me. And I came to know Christ in 1996. And so we were attending Mont Alba Baptist Church in Mont Alba, Texas, which is a little town, uh, which does have a blinking light now. It didn't have a blinking light back in the day. Uh, but it's just a little town north of Palestine, Texas. And so the pastor of that church, our pastor, came and sat down. My, my grandmother had attended church uh, when her kids were young, but they had had a falling out with the church, and so she didn't attend. And she had started coming to the Baptist church, but she didn't grow up going to the Baptist church. So anyway, but, but we're sitting there at, at, the, at the dining room table, and my uncle's sitting there, and I'm sitting there, my granddaddy's sitting there, and my grandmother's sitting there. And the pastor asked that key question. And my granddaddy's got Alzheimer's, right? And so he asked the question, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think you'd say? Before my grandmother could get a word out, my granddaddy said, because he's my Lord and Savior. It was a pretty cool moment because I'd never heard my granddaddy talk about Jesus before. And I was thankful to know that he had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And my granddaddy, you know, last week we popped the bull whip, right? And my granddaddy taught me how to do that. My granddaddy taught me things uh, about taking my hat off before I come inside. My granddaddy taught me that a man has his word. And if the man's word is no good, the man is no good. Uh, he, he taught me if you tell somebody that you're going to do something, you better die trying to do it. Because, you know, again, if your word's no good, then you're no good. And so... My granddaddy took me in, uh, me and my sister in, when I was about 10 years old and raised us. So, you know, they kind of, their empty nest years, they kind of gave those up. And I didn't understand what that meant. But now that I'm 51 years old, right, and my twin daughters have graduated for A&M, of course, we're never going to be empty nesters with Lily because she's special needs. But but I understand what kind of getting to that point in life means. And they gave that up. And, and so don't hear me that I'm not appreciative for my grandfather and the things that he did. But but I, I told myself at that age that I wanted to be a better man than my granddaddy was because I didn't want to leave any doubt in my family's life about my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that kind of comes back to this chasm, right? We come to know Christ, but we don't ever share our faith with other people. 
And if you won't share your faith with your family members, you're certainly not going to share your faith with strangers in Walmart or your classmates that you go to school with or your co-workers that you work with. And so we have to be fishers of men. We, we've got to, to have gospel conversations with people. And the thing is, if people get to this chair right here, we'll start saying to them, man, you must be called to be a preacher or something, right? You, God's got a special purpose for your life. You must be a missionary or something. This is something that every Christ follower is supposed to do. But it kind of becomes so rare that people get passionate for it that we think God has some special call on somebody's life if they really start doing it. But really, this isn't the pinnacle of what Jesus has called us to do. There's another chair. And the final chair is making disciples. Producing fruit. John fifteen sixteen. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. We're going to talk more about that next week, so I hope you'll come back next week. Sometimes we as preachers don't like to let the cat out of the bag, right? What we're going to talk about. He's going to talk more about this next week. I think I just hit the snooze button. No, don't hit the snooze button next week. Come back and, and be a part of what we're going to talk about because we're going to dive deeper into what it means to produce lasting fruit. The very thing that Jesus, and then Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples. Now when Jesus said this, and, and he didn't just say it to the twelve, right? They, uh, Spader says that there were probably 500 other followers of Jesus Christ that just hadn't been following him as intently as the twelve that heard this. And so it wasn't just a message to the 12, it was to the 500, and it's to us today as well. We're called to go and make disciples. Jesus didn't say go and plant churches. Jesus didn't say go and get people to attend worship services. Jesus didn't say go and preach to people. Jesus said go and make disciples. I've told you before that I came to know Christ in 1996. After I came to know Christ, I, I uh, started going to Sunday school. I started attending church on Sunday morning. Back in the day, we had church on Sunday night as well, right? We had Wednesday night. And at the church that I was going to, uh, any of you men remember, remember Promise Keepers back in the 90s? One or two of you? Anyway, they had these Promise Keepers conferences at large football stadiums and stuff. And then a lot of churches, men would come back and start meeting during the week. And so we had, uh, I guess what you'd call a men's group. We called it Promise Keepers that was meeting on Thursday night. So I was plugged into all those things. And all those things were good. But nobody ever sat down with me and helped me intentionally work through what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, I, and so I'm not, all those things were good. And so am I saying all those things are bad? No, don't hear me say all those things are bad. But sometimes in church, we make disciples more on accident than we do on purpose. And I know that's 
pretty hard words. In fact, I was reading another book this week by a guy named Will Mancini, and he's kind of fallen from grace because he had an extramarital affair, but it doesn't make it any less true in the book that he wrote called Future Church. He said sometimes the church in North America, we are disciple fakers instead of disciple makers. We're more concerned with getting people from chair one to chair two, but we never... Don't hear, it's not Jason Bryant who's called you to be a fisher of men. And it's not Jason Bryant who's called you to be a disciple maker. you got to look in the Word. That's what Jesus Christ has called every one of us to be, correct? And so I go back to the message from last week. If you want to see a sonic boom happen at Main Street Baptist Church, if you want to see God do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine, then let some people here, not some people, let everyone here at Main Street Baptist Church get on fire and excited about helping fish for people and helping make disciples. Because this this is one of the things that, that Spader shares in the book. He said, you take a church of 100 people and if they grow at 10%, in 30 years that church will be a church of 1,600. Most of us would say, that would be pretty cool, right? To go from a church of a hundred to a church of sixteen hundred in thirty years, that's, that's sustainable growth. But he says also if you take those same one hundred people and they would devote themselves to make a disciple and if they followed the pattern Jesus invested in his disciples for three years more or less, right? If we would follow that pattern, if we would invest in disciple making and then we would charge that candidate, that person that we've invested in at the end of those three. And and I realize some people are uh, uh, a little bit more on the ball, right? They might get it in a little less time frame. Some of us, like myself, are a little more hard-headed and stiff-necked and stubborn. So it might take four or five years to make a disciple. But, but whatever the case, if we would commit to invest in that person for, say, three years, that same 100 people at the end of 30 years, if they make disciples and every time they add one, they make disciples, you've got a church of 100,000. We don't even begin to think that because most people aren't willing to commit. In our culture today, if we can get people from chair one to chair two, we're all excited and we're clapping and excited for Jesus. But we've got to realize as a church, God wants them to be fishers of men and he also wants them to be disciple makers. And so it's time for us as the church to get back to the things that, that God has called us to do. And so maybe you're here today and, and, and you haven't begun that journey with God. You've never asked Jesus Christ to be the leader of your life and, and the Lord of your life for the very first time. And I just want to encourage you, if he's, if he's challenging your heart and challenging your life today, I want to pray a prayer with you. But it's less about the prayer and it's more about the attitude of your heart, to you being open and genuine and real with God. But if you need to invite Christ into your life today, ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, then then I want to lead you in a prayer. And and when we sing a song in just a minute, if you want to come talk to me, I'd be glad to talk to you. I'm sure Alan, I'm sure Les, uh, I'm sure any leader here at Main Street Baptist Church would be glad to visit with you. But whatever you need to do today, you do it with the Lord because he, He is the one who you do business with. It's not about Jason or anyone else. 
And so if you need to pray that prayer today as we bow our heads, uh, you can pray it silently. You can pray it out loud. But if you know that you need Jesus, you can say something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I've messed up. And Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life on the cross for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing yourself to be buried in that tomb. But thank you, Jesus, on the third day you rose again. Jesus, thank you for giving me a home in heaven. And Jesus, every day from this day forward, help me to live in a way that people will see you in my life. Lord, if there's one person here today who prayed that prayer for the very first time, I just pray that they'll find somebody uh, after this service and tell them because your word says that we not only believe in our heart, but we also confess with our mouth. We want to encourage that person to follow Christ in public baptism, uh, to really uh, let the world know that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for the rest of us that are here today, Lord, I, I pray just like for me reading this book two and a half years ago, Lord, that... Uh, that this would be a life-changing, that we couldn't leave here today and just go on about business as usual. But, Lord, that we would know that you called us to be disciple-makers. And, Lord, I pray that we would be resolved today to say, Lord, I want to do my best. I want to find somebody, and I want to begin to pour into their life. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to join you in the work that you do. Lord, it's not our work. It's your work. But thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of it. Lord, in everything, we give you the praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.